one thing to want to grant over 3 million people in California health care who are illegal immigrants. It's another thing that you want to grant them gender-affirming care. Over 700,000 illegals in California now, according to Gary, Gavin Newsom, will have this available to them, while many people in California throughout this country cannot afford their premiums, cannot afford health care, struggle to make ends meet. And you know if it's happening in California, it's just a bellwether for what they want for the rest of this nation. That is certainly Gavin Newsom's goal, is he wants to take the terrible policies of California and export them nationwide. And in terms of the gender-affirming care, that is an elective procedure. Uh, I would describe it if if you were, you know, maybe a woman who wanted to stay as a woman who but who wanted to get maybe breast implant augmentation. That's an elective procedure. I would say it's similar in this case. Um, and I don't think the taxpayers should be paying for this for uh, illegal immigrants. Um, I think that's a, that is a, a dereliction of the stewardship of taxpayer money. Um, just more broadly, though, when you're talking about illegal immigration, there was a study by the National Academy of Sciences that looked at families utilizing public services, and they found that immigrant families were actually more likely than non-immigrant families to be using them. So when you're talking about these concerns about immigration, I often um, am asked, hey, well, aren't you the, the descendant of immigrants from Europe? Well, yes, I am. However, when my ancestors came during that age, you know, a lot of them joined the, the Mormon church in the 1830s, 1840s. Some came with Ellis Island. In those periods, we had no social safety net. We didn't have FDR. We didn't have uh, later on LBJ. So Milton Friedman, the great economist, he said, you can either have an open border policy with no social safety net, or you can have the reverse, but you can't have them both because eventually your country will go bankrupt. Uh, you know, um, one, what was the stunt Hunter Biden was trying to pull off by all of a sudden showing up at the hearing on Wednesday and once, uh, and then Nancy Mace, the congressman from Charleston, South Carolina, called it white privilege. And then when uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene began to talk, they bolted out of the out of, out of the room. And now they've still passed the resolution to hold him in contempt. What was the goal of Hunter Biden and his lawyers in that theater? Yeah, so everyone saw that clip and it was quite a stunt. Uh, it was it was funny. So I, if I were a Democrat, I would at least laugh. He ran away from the room when Major started talk. Okay, funny. But at the same time, the, the average news watcher would have found that disrespectful. Uh, because whatever you think about Major Taylor Greene, she is a congresswoman, and it's Congress. And of course, what the what the president's son is trying to do with these optics game and trying to portray himself as a person that's being persecuted is to distance himself from the reality. And the reality is that the president and his family is heavily involved in corruption. So by portraying themselves as the victims, by inverting the roles of the American people who are the true victims and putting themselves as the ones that are being negatively portrayed and attacked, uh, they hope that they can keep the corruption allegations on Trump 
and not on themselves. You know, speaking of um, Trump, Kerry, is the president immune from any charges? I mean, the president's seeking absolute immunity from the courts. Is, is it indicative that he is above the law? Or am, are we, am I missing something here? I'm, I'm with you, Armstrong. I, I didn't buy the arguments from uh, former President Trump's attorneys. I think it was in the Fifth Circuit. I, I didn't buy their arguments, and I, I don't think the court will either. I mean, it is true, I believe, and I'm certainly not alone. In fact, uh, a majority of both independents as well as even Democrats, um, you know, lots of people say that these prosecutions of Trump are politically motivated. For the Democrats, they actually like that. That's what they exactly what they want. Um, but so that's part of why Trump still is very popular with the Republican base because Republicans also believe these investigations and these allegations and these court charges and indictments are politically motivated. That's why they're still with him. But you can't, I think Trump is overplaying his hand by trying to, as, as my co-panelist said, play the victim here when it comes to not being held accountable to the law. So I think the law should be equally applied. And when you look at what's happening with Letitia James and others, they're clearly not doing that. They're not being equal in how they apply the law to Trump. But Trump, conversely, is doing the wrong thing also in this case. You know, speaking of Letitia James, let me, let me, let me stay with you. Listen, to want $375 million to shut him down? There are so many people who are already struggling in this economy and they don't take into consideration the number of people that they employed, that the Trump enterprise employed in New York City. Is this revenge? And I mean, and she cannot separate herself from the press conferences that she ran on when she's running for attorney general. I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to bring him to his knees. He's in my bullseye. And all of a sudden, she wants to be a neutral and minister of justice. I mean, come on, she's a political hack. Carrie, call it for what it is. She, I mean, she really is. I mean, exactly. You called it when, when she's literally saying in her campaign speech, I'm going to get Trump. And you are, justice is supposed to be blind. You are not blind at that point. You are making money. She's making money off the Trump brand. Why don't we um, see what that value is? Let's ask Letitia James, what's the value of using the Trump brand to make money for your campaign, for your own brand? Um, I would ask her that question. But the, uh, the fact that she wants to have this excessive punishment, it certainly is unconstitutional. The punishment has to fit the crime. Um, and you have to show actual malice. Um, you can dispute what Trump is claiming in terms of his property values and such. Um, but those are really uh, accounting um, you know, disputes. Um, it's not showing an actual criminal intent, uh, I believe. And so I, I think that's, that's, again, why so many people in the Republican Party are still with Trump, because they see how frivolous. And, and even the fact that, as I understand it, the New York legislature literally changed the law to be able to go back under the statute of limitations just narrowly to go after Trump. That's pretty much why they changed the law was to go after Trump. It's so political. You know, speaking of the GOP one, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has worked with Democrats, and this is what the American people want, crossed out, compromised, and he did this to avert a government shutdown. And what is his colleagues on the extreme right say?
uh, impeach him. Let's remove him as Speaker of the House. Do, do they remember 2023 and the nightmare that the GOP had gone through before finally selecting a Speaker? And just because he is doing exactly what Kevin McCarthy did, you want to come back to this place talking about impeaching and removing the Speaker of the House? What are we not seeing here? What is it that they're not seeing? The fact is or what the American people truly want. They want this compromise. Yes, it's definitely a, a place that is, it's not easy, that's all I'm gonna say, for mega Republicans to deliver their message in a house that is not characterized by a strong Republican majority. Speaker Johnson is playing the cards that he has been dealt. And the truth is that he, we have to compromise or we have to be really strong and be okay with shut down, shutting down the government. For some Americans, that would be less than okay. But for the MAGA base, that would be understandable to secure funding for the border and so many other MAGA priorities it would be okay to battle the Democrats in the House, even if it leads to a shutdown. So it's not exactly clear what the best path is uh, for the Republican MAGA base, because on one hand, uh, their priorities are not being prioritized by the Biden administration, but on the other, if the other outcome is shutting down and appearing weak and divided as a party, what are we supposed to do? I'm not sure. And I, and from what it seems, Republican congressmen are not sure either. You know, Carrie, I want to read this to you because I want to make sure that as the host of this show that I don't misquote the president of Mexico because sometimes you, we said to ourselves, you ever heard that phrase? I don't even believe my lying eyes. But let me read this to you, okay? The U.S. must provide $20 billion to Mexico, issue 10 million work permits to Hispanic individuals who have been employed in the United States for a minimum of 10 years. And, and, wait, Karen, not finished. Terminate penalties imposed on Venezuela while stopping an embargo on Cuba. Now, if the United States were to do this, what do we get in return? I'm sure that's what you're asking. Well, let me tell you what we get in return, Gary. Mexico's assistance in stopping the migrant crisis in the United States. <laughs> Is this a joke? Has he lost his mind? Is this bribery? It does sound like an SNL skit. The script yes. that you just read sounds a dialogue from a Saturday Night Live script. <laughs> it is unbelievable. But I have to say, Armstrong, in some respects, I'm not surprised because what Joe Biden has been broadcasting and transmitting from his White House on foreign policy is weakness, is put a kick me sign on the back of America, is do what you will, world leaders. This is what happened in Afghanistan. The weakness that we left 80 billion dollars of equipment that we turned our backs on our allies 
My brother's a captain in, in the U.S. Army, and his former supervisor had a translator. We just got him out in December. He and his wife and young son were trapped there for two and a half years because she was nine months pregnant and couldn't travel. I mean, and we still have Americans trapped there. And so who watched that? Well, Vladimir Putin did. And so that incentivized him and, and saw the weakness that was being transmitted. And so that is why I believe, partially why Putin invaded Ukraine, was because he knew that Joe Biden was weak. And so this is another chapter in the playbook of Joe Biden weakness to say that your your neighbor who is so utterly dependent in many ways on the United States is now trying to shove it in our faces uh, and put our backs against the wall even when we have billions in remittances payments and, and wages that flow down there we have the leverage and yet we have a weak president who is going to be exploited or this this the, the president of Mexico is trying to exploit the weakness of our president. Now, I had to say, you know, obviously on um, Wednesday night, I had the pleasure of watching that hate fest in Iowa between DeSantis and Nikki Haley, calling each other's liars, tearing each other apart. As many people say, Biden destroys this country through the invasion on the borders, his foreign policy disaster, Americans suffering, lost their way of life, and they choose to destroy each other. Now, Carrie, I know you heard about the rabbis in New York building this tunnel underground, trying to seek a higher power with their creator, but they built the tunnel in the wrong direction. And then others were outraged because some are saying that the tunnel was, is used for sexual trafficking. I must tell you, one of the few times our private investigators cannot seem to give us an understanding on what these rabbis were seeking to do in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm just imploring you to help us. I have not heard about these tunnels in Brooklyn. This is the first I've actually heard oh, about them. One, have you? <laughs> no, I, I heard I, about I them. <laughs> I don't know enough. I just know that it's really weird and what do you know about it? And listen, let me tell you, it was so filthy and so dirty what they were building. I mean, it was so scary. It, it, listen, it's another story unfolding. It's interesting, Karen, wow. just go back. You, you got to see that. For anybody, this is a story that's going to get some daylight very soon. But let me move on to greener pastors, okay? Well, go the ahead. only thing I would say to this in general, well, if, if you want. Please. You know, you know my faith journey and how hard fought it was for me to come to faith. I was agnostic for about 12 years because I was raised in a very abusive religious cult. It was a Mormon cult. It's not the LDS church. My dad was excommunicated from that. It was my dad's cult. And I despised organized religion for a long time. I hated God. I didn't believe in God. I was agnostic. And stories like this, so for anyone in your audience who would see this story and then hate God because of it, I want to tell you that's not God. That is human, and religion is not God. At its best, religion points people to God. At its worst, um, it separates people from God. And so the behavior of these rabbis, if they are exploiting their networks of trust and faith in God from good-hearted people who um, maybe they were helping finance it without even knowing it, that's not from God. And so please just be aware that evil behavior by religious people is not God. I heard a really good analogy and it was that 
if you listen to someone playing Bach music badly, you don't blame Bach. You blame the terrible musician. Let me just tell you what's interesting about these tunnels. Now, the rabbis claim that these tunnels were built in 2021 to make sure they could have a pathway to their synagogue in 2020 so they could have a pathway to their synagogues because during this is during the pandemic. But here's the kicker. When experts went down to examine those tunnels, it was six months ago. They were, okay, six months ago. There's something here. And the good thing about it, the truth has a biological advantage. Doesn't need the artificial man to survive. It lives and breathes freely on its own. And believe me, the truth will come out. Now, back to the Iowa debate. DeSantis has thrown everything in Iowa. He's determined to play second. Nikki Haley threw Iowa under the bus, saying, when she gets to New Hampshire, New Hampshire, you're going to correct what Iowa is about to do. In other words, she's admitting that she's not going to play second, okay? She thinks she has a chance of winning in New Hampshire. Donald Trump all of a sudden decided, well, I'm in New York. Let me just trot all over the Fox and be a part of this debate where I just talk about by totally ignore my opponents. He barely mentioned Haley and they said, why? What? He's up by 30 points. Uh, listen, savage attacks on each other. And all of a sudden, Trump has something good to say about um, Chris Christie because he was on the hot mic saying, Haley doesn't stand a chance against Trump. It's a laughing stock. So all of a sudden he praises him there. What is this, um, Juan? Is this a well, circus? The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I, when I watched the town hall. Oh, wait Trump's, a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I was just corrected. Trump was in Iowa for the debate. He was not in New York. Still the same. He's yeah. too good. He stands above them to sit on the same stage with them. You know, it's like royalty. I will not be in the same room with my opponents. Because wait, they may ask me about my legal woes. They may ask me about my character. Oh, well, you don't have to worry about your character, Mr. President, because they ref refuse to condemn your character. That is the one place that DeSantis and the Kahili will not touch. Go ahead, Juan. Yeah, so as I was saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, that's a very Trumpian philosophy. And last night's town hall was, as usual, hilarious. We didn't only see him uh say pretty words about chris christie after he went uh well not purposely but the hot nick said some stuff that's not very nice about haley uh he also said the same about hillary clinton who in the past he hated but now he goes around calling her beautiful hillary why because she's not competing trump knows that he's in a race against specific individuals and when they're no longer in that race, he can become friends. Uh, he understands this very well. And it's very funny to, to see him uh, do this in public because a lot of politicians will try to, you know, portray their politics as reality, as this is who I am and this is who I think. But Trump makes it really obvious. He doesn't like you. Why? Because you're against him. But if you weren't against him, he'll probably be okay with you. You know, um, Carrie, let's, let's discuss the current landscape. I mean, I, I wonder if these debates really are going to help shape people's minds, because it seems like every time Trump is maligned, his numbers go up in the polls. What are the key issues shaping the election cycle, especially for 
conservative voters. Well, it was so interesting that what you said earlier uh, about them failing to go after Biden and instead tearing each other apart. I actually looked at a transcript timeline. It took them about 20 minutes into the debate. That's a long time in TV. That's an eternity to mention the name Biden. And instead, they were just yapping at each other. And when we're in an age of TikTok and 15 second videos, why are you attacking each other instead of going after the substantive policy? One policy issue, to answer your question, that I think should have been elevated far more by people like Ron DeSantis was education and school choice. Ron DeSantis is phenomenal on school choice and education and taking on the teachers unions. US News and World Report ranks him number one in the entire country. Out of all the states, Florida ranks number one on public education quality. Heritage Foundation did some rankings on education freedom. Florida comes in number one there too. The charter programs, the school choice programs, the voucher programs in Florida are phenomenal. And yet he spends his campaign this past year trying to mimic Trump and trying to be Trump light or Trump junior. And Bill Maher said it well. He said, why would I go see a tribute band when I can go see the original band for free? And instead of really focusing on the policy things that get people excited, he was trying to steal the, the Trump base. The Trump base is about 33% of the Republican party, you know, roughly. That means there's two thirds that he could have gone after. And yet he chose to go in the direction of trying to copy Trump. And look, we all can agree Trump is an original. That's the problem. Predictive insights here, uh, Juan. <laughs> that original doesn't change. <laughs> Guys, girls, based on your expertise, Juan, what trends should we expect to see in the upcoming elections? And, and even with the voter sentiment, how are the recent news events influencing voters and how they look at the candidates and the issues which are more important to them and which is why they were eventually cast a vote uh, in the November elections? Yeah, so before I answer that question, I have a, a metaphor that I, I love to think about, uh, which is about burgers. Sometimes you just want a Big Mac. Uh, you might have a Five Guys burger or some Shake Shack, but you know what a Big Mac is? It's been there for a while, and Trump is a Big Mac. If you offer yourself as this delicious new burger with extra cheese and double bacon, some voters are not gonna care because they know the Big Mac and they're gonna buy the Big Mac. Anyways, I digress. Uh, there are certain issues that will definitely play a tremendous role as the primary develops. First and foremost, I believe, foreign policy. Foreign policy usually doesn't matter that much, but now more than ever, it matters a lot. I would say it's up there with immigration and economics. As we see conflicts spur in the Middle East, potential conflicts in East Asia, and even some conflict in the Western Hemisphere, all under the Biden regime. So with Haley running, who's a very traditional, some would say neoconservative option, and Trump and his tradi traditional America first uh, slogan, and then other candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis acting more like Trump, although with DeSantis, he's somewhere in the middle, it seems. I believe the foreign policy will continue to play a tremendous role. And as the situation develops around the world, uh, we will certainly see Republicans try to distinguish themselves on foreign policy. You know, I, I tell you what was fascinating about Wednesday night's debate, 
um, Carrie, is that Nikki Haley is unapologetic about she her she how she would continue to support Ukraine. Israel is an easy issue for all of them to support Ukraine, and for the most part, uh, they agreed on foreign policy, with the exception of Ukraine. She is not backing down. Yeah, it was interesting because it was the first time I'd heard her really emphasize that she was supporting weapons as opposed to cash. And I'm not sure that that's actually been the way that it's played out. I, I have seen analysis from American Enterprise Institute that the weapons that we have sent over, that the vast majority of the money we've spent was actually created by American products or American companies creating the weapons. So in that respect, it's, it is U.S. tax money, at least creating American jobs, create products that are sent over there. Um, but I think the, the, the idea that the U.S. should continue to bankroll something even while there are still, there are still NATO countries who are not honing up their just agreed to percentage of their GDP on defense spending, and they're not helping defend more their own backyard, that's a problem. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.